Hello, and welcome to So You Think You Can Rule Persia, the podcast where we rate and review all the kings of Persia from Diokis to Yazdegerd III. I'm Serial, and my pronouns are they, them. And I'm Umberto, my pronouns are he, him. So hello everybody, and welcome to episode 30.5, also uh, known as Xerxes the Snyder Cut. Uh, right, we're doing the, oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I was like, what are you talking about? What is happening? <laughs> Yes, Demetrius is for next time. Sorry, folks. But for now, enjoy this. <laughs> oh, I'm excited. So, terrible news, Serial. I'm sorry to have to tell you this, but all information on Xerxes the Forest has been destroyed. Oh, no. Those bits of Herodotus have been wiped. Oh, the bits in Diodorus are gone. Oh, Our podcast episode was fried. What happened? My memory has been blanked and my notes are gone. No! Wait, so, have we been kind victims of to an attack? Who, like, is it just part of a bigger loss of knowledge? Or like, is someone specifically targeting the information about Cersei? No, it was specifically targeted. I assume it's been aliens that just want to oh, remove all information about Xerxes for whatever reason oh, they dear. have. So we're well, recording a new episode on him. Yes, we're recording a new one because okay. the old one has been destroyed forever and is, will never exist again. And yeah, since all our sources are gone and all books talking about Xerxes have been oh, destroyed. Right. Are your notes also gone? Yes, they're all gone. It's I been, don't remember ash. much. Ash. I couldn't find mine either, so See, I... See, yeah, your memory has been wiped too. It's, oh, it's tragic. Heck. Listeners, you've probably been affected as well. But I was lucky enough that while scouring the internet for some information, I found some textual evidence of Xerxes in a film or movie, called 300, and its close companion, which is called something like 301 Dalmatians, or oh. something along that line. Well, I can't remember the title. Doesn't it include dogs? It's what is removed. happening? It may or may not. So now I've used all this precious information to sort of reconstruct the life of Xerxes, and now I'm going to be presenting it to you all, so you can finally be educated on what happened. Okay, so let's start with the story of Xerxes. So unfortunately, our sources don't really have much information on his youth, mm. like very early on. But what we're told is that he is the son of King Darius of the Persian Empire. Okay. And one day, his father decided to invade Greece and Xerxes came along. Okay. Well, do we also not have much information on Darius then? or? No, we have absolutely no information on Darius. Like, we have some of it. I'm going to tell you all that we have, but, uh, you know. There's not much left, unfortunately. Mm. This is a particularly interesting historical event because the sources mention that it isn't really motivated by political or economical reasons. But we're told that Darius attacked Greece specifically because they hate freedom. Oh. And so they're trying to extinguish it. Which what? sounds, you know, it's an unusual historical Wait, fact. But it Darius works. hates freedom or the Greeks hate freedom? No, Darius hates freedom oh. and the Greeks are... Just in general? Like, the concept, or...? Yeah, just the concept, like, the philosophical idea of it. Mm. And, uh, yeah, of course, our sources are mentioning that, fortunately, there are the Greek people there who are, and I quote, the only hope for reason and justice. This feels like Greek propaganda to me, you know? Like... It might be. I mean, there are certain elements that show that this source is, like a lot of ancient sources, is a little bit biased and has... Yeah. Tinges of misogyny and uh, xenophobia, but who knows? Yeah, I don't know what to tell you. But okay, we'll go yeah, with unfortunately, it. Unfortunately, we have no other evidence. So there we are. So apparently Darius and Xerxes take their army of slaves to destroy Greece, as I mentioned uh, earlier. Army of slaves? Wait. Yes. Don't they have like a paid army? Like, isn't soldier a job? 
No, they don't. They, ah. It's apparently indentured servitude. It happens. I mean, I don't know how loyal armed men would be if they're slaves. Like, okay, I'm just, we're just going to go with it. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, you know, that's what the sources tell us. Who knows? It's going to be there. But we're told that when Darius arrives, he is faced only with the Athenians who are there to protect their great experiment of democracy. And like, listeners, if you haven't really heard of democracy, it's, it's this great system where everybody gets a say in government. Oh. I mean, except foreigners and, and women and, 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 the, and the slaves too, but who cares about them? They're That's not important. So some percentage of the population at least does get a vote, right? Yes. As long as you're a man, then uh, that's cool. I see. I guess that doesn't really quite represent everybody, you know? At least there's not just one person deciding, so... Yeah, that works. That's great. So we're told that Darius fights the Greeks at the Battle of Marathon... And a random Athenian soldier called Themistocles saw King Darius in the distance and jumped off from ship to ship between one and the other until he could shoot an arrow directly at the king. Themistocles shot this arrow at King Darius and Prince Xerxes saw this coming and tried to save his father but was too late to push him out of the way and Darius was caught in the chest. They were like real close in the field of battle. That must have yes, been they were on a ship looking at very it. shocking and kind of devastating to like see your father right there and just not be quite fast enough. Or, exactly. Or maybe he wanted to get the throne, you know, maybe he wasn't Who quite knows? fast enough yeah. on purpose in these occasions. I, you know, you never know. I mean, it happens. You never know what, what's going to go on. And yeah, so it's also an interesting choice that they decided to forego the Achaemenid tradition of having an heir to be safe far away from the war. And they just had... yeah. The same on one ship, but who knows, maybe this was a specifically important event that needed to be taken care of. But anyway, with a mortally wounded Darius, the battle ends and the Persians go home. So we travel all the way back to Persepolis, which is very dusty in the sources, Mm -hmm. so there must have been some sort of drought event going on that uh, decreased the quality of the soil in the area, so it's a lot of sand. Like a record of this happening? I don't... Like, no, unfortunately, there's no archaeological record. Oh, huh. Weird. Nothing. It's really sad. Okay, because I thought Persepolis was, you know, fairly... You'd expect from the modern climate that it wouldn't be a box of sand, but mm-hmm. apparently at the time it was, according to the sources. Maybe it's referencing a particular event. I don't... Oh, it might be. It might also just be symbolic. Who oh. knows? Okay. So then we get a scene at the deathbed of Darius, where... Of course, this is done in the famous skull chamber of Persepolis, near the oh. traditional throne made out of skulls. Uh, wait, we haven't mentioned that before. No, unfortunately not, because it's gone, who knows. And if you remember your Herodotus, judging based on the sturdiness of the skulls on the battlefield he found at Pelusium, mm-hmm. we can assume that a lot of these skulls are Egyptians, because they are the sturdiest you could use as building material. I remember so. this, yeah. That sounds reasonable, yes. They probably picked it up during Cambyses' invasion of Egypt and yeah. brought it back to Persepolis. I see, so I that see. sounds like the reasonable outcome. And we're also told that here at the deathbed of Darius, there was Xerxes himself mm-hmm. and a woman called Artemisia of Caria, who was mm-hmm. apparently the best naval commander of the empire. Oh, I didn't know... We had female commanders, but that's really cool. Any more information on her? 
We have some more information on her, but later on in the story. Okay. Now, of course, given that this is an ancient source, mm -hmm. they are falling into the traditional tropes of ancient sources of women being sort of evil and scheming and seductive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's all that sort of thing. Uh, see, Parisatis. But, like, I, I, they're still cool characters, especially if, you know, at least there's some record of them. I always enjoy them. I'm interested to see what will be of this commander. I like her. Yes, exactly. So at the deathbed, Xerxes is told by Darius that he should leave the Greeks alone because only a god could defeat them. Oh, okay. Yeah, very Greek propaganda so, thing. Sounds standard. legit. Yeah. And then Darius tells Artemisia that she's the warrior daughter he would have wanted to succeed him, but oh no, that wasn't the case. Too bad. It'll have to be Xerxes. In front of Xerxes? Yeah, Xerxes I, is there. Okay. I, no record about what? how he's feeling. Although, there is a description of the look on his face, which is nonplussed. I, I see. Yeah, uh, this might be problematic for Artemisia. I don't know why Darius would do this. Like, way to put her in trouble. Yeah, I mean, he's feverish. It could be anything. Uh. Who knows? Eh. But apparently, Artemisia then, after hearing this, yanks the arrow that was still in Darius's chest for... Some reason. Oh, it was right. probably some I... sort of typical medical practice of the time. Maybe they couldn't save him, but like if they pulled it out, it would just be worse. Or they yeah, just, exactly. Like left it knowing that he would die and just like enough so he could get his last thoughts through. Or Yeah, pretty much. Probably just to dictate a will and then it was okay, cool, we can yeah. go now. Hmm. So now Darius is out of his misery and Xerxes is king. Hooray! Okay. So what does he do? Well, upon becoming king, we're told that Xerxes ordered seven days of mourning for his father mm -hmm. and decided that, well, he didn't want to go on an expedition with the Greeks. You know, clearly his father's last words were a warning that he shouldn't do this. So, okay, let's Yeah, not. he didn't hate freedom as much as his yeah, father. Exactly. He didn't hate freedom enough to actually go about it. He was ambivalent about it, presumably. So there we are. Okay. Mm, but yeah. Artemisia who was the warrior daughter that Darius never had, convinced Xerxes that no, 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 actually Darius wasn't uh, saying that he shouldn't do it. It was saying that he should become a god to do it. Uh, I, well, I mean, I guess you could interpret so, it mean, that way. You know, If she calls. truly is a brilliant tactician, like I get that it could also be greed of like, oh, I started this campaign and I think we're doing good and I want to finish it. Yes. But you know, if she was truly brilliant, like I don't think she would advise badly, you know. Yeah, I mean, you know, clearly there must have been some sort of interest there that yeah. uh, worked out. Okay, so how do we become a god? Well, apparently it's a readily available set of information to the Persian royalty because there isn't really much searching for how to go about this. It's oh. quite well known. Huh. Okay, how did nobody else try it before? I don't... Well, it seems like it has a high mortality rate, which uh, seems okay. to be the issue. Yeah, okay, okay. Yeah, so the deal is that Xerxes covers himself in cloths dipped in special potions and is sent out to wander the desert. All right. After much wandering, he finds a cave full of hermits, which are all, all terribly deformed, which probably suggests from the sources that the potions might have been an irritant to the skin, which uh -huh. causes this sort of issues. I see. And in this cave full of hermits... There was apparently a golden pool untouched by the hermits for oh. some reasons, perhaps ritual purposes. Yeah. But Xerxes himself entered the pool and emerged shortly after, fully transformed. Oh. All right. So why did the hermits not 
do that? I'm I mean, confused. presumably it might be some sort of class issue where yeah, only royals could, can do this. Yeah, but like then only why, nobility could do this. Why had the hermits undergone this procedure if they knew that they couldn't? It's a complicated I'm reason. Sorry, they I'm, might have. Uh... I'm being so like confronting about this. It's just. it's a story, right? Like we said, it's probably full of Greek propaganda. Like, it probably doesn't really have the logic that it would have. Yeah, also, you know, it could be some sort of set dressing that Mm. was put into the sources to emphasize the difference between, uh, you know, the god king and the people. Sort of like how in ancient reliefs, the kings are generally depicted as taller than their subjects. It might be something of this sort that is uh, symbolically relevant. But yeah, according to the sources, the king emerged from this pool with red eyes, no hair, a deeper voice, and lots of jewelry. Right. So what could this be? So according to modern medical science, there could be a series of causes for this transformation that Mm. we might be able to interpret. It could be, for example, a triggering of melanin deficiency common to albinism for the red eyes. Right. And the radical increase in testosterone to account for hair loss and voice deepening. So probably the journey into the desert by Xerxes seems to have been more allegorical or maybe not the important part of the Mm -hmm. mission. Or the transformation, yeah. Yeah, but actually the potions in the cloth had some transformative hormonal imbalance that they could induce in the person. And it was successful in Xerxes in particular. I see. I mean, it could also just be a... Essentially a makeover, so that, you know... It could be, perhaps, people... yes. Maybe he went to the cave of mystical makeovers. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you know, just so people would perceive him as a god. Like, if I were to go about this being a royal, I can just tell people, oh, I've been transformed. And, it, you know, who's going to say I wasn't? Yeah, exactly. That's a fair argument. And also, when Xerxes returns to the palace with this new appearance, he finds out that Artemisia has killed all of his allies and supporters in the court. Presumably, if we're looking through at a historical lens, we could see that maybe this was to gain more control of the king. But again, since Xerxes didn't seem to retaliate on this at all, this sort of strengthens the idea that this journey may have been more allegorical. And it's sort of like what Diochis did when he became king, where he separated himself from mortals and the people that he knew. That sort of thing, which uh, allows us to transform into a different plane of being. Of course. Give that impression, you know. Yeah, exactly. So now upon his return, Xerxes having fulfilled the terms of the prophecy, he declares war on the Greeks in the name of vengeance. So off we go. Now, Xerxes decides to prepare this expedition by gathering his armies from across the vast Persian Empire. Well, the first problem with his gathering of men is that there was the so-called horse plague that struck the empire at this point. Okay. Did it kill horses or was it an illness contracted from horses? Well, both. Because according to Dr. Lorem Ipsum, there is this <laughs> connection of different evidence from across the sources. Because we're told that a large majority of the Persian army had some sort of deformation in the body. Oh. And at the same time, Persian horses are only mentioned on one occasion and not later on. So much so that Persian slaves had to carry things on their backs rather than using horses. Oh. So, according to Dr. Ipsum's theory, this suggests that there was a large plague which infected the horses of the Persian Empire, and this spread across as a zoonotic disease Mm. to humans, which caused this sort of impairments, which uh, we Mm. can see throughout the sources. Right. So, Mm. that's quite interesting. 
Not ideal circumstances to have a war. No, not really. But it seems like a lot of these deformities were mainly cosmetic and didn't really affect how uh, oh, okay. everybody else was acting. So, bit I mean, of a the bummer, lack of horses is not great well go. for, you know, going into battle. No, not really. But we do have that Xerxes tries to make up for it with uh, a bit of different options. Because while we're on animals, hmm. we get a nice idea of the extent of the empire based on the variety of animals that Xerxes has. Hmm. Because it presumably extends down to southern Sudan, where he obtained the infamous battle rhinos. Oh. Because that's sort of okay, the, I was the expecting elephants, but not, not rhinos. Yeah, apparently there were large rhinos. They weren't terribly effective during this war, but they were at least brought around. Maybe as a shock effect, who knows. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I wouldn't want to go against a rhino. Yeah, exactly. We're then told that he had elephants, which arrived probably from the same region, but mm -hmm. it's probably an extinct subspecies that we don't have anymore because they're described as being about 10 meters tall. Oh, yeah, no, that's like three times an elephant. <laughs> it's roughly taller than a giraffe, so presumably we can assume that overuse for war has extinguished this species. Or, you know, they're exaggerating because we also had sources before telling us that armies were like, you know, 10 times what they were. Yeah, that could be the case. And another element that's very interesting, that was only previously reported in Tejas, but now we have confirmation with these extra sources, yeah. is that Xerxes got support from the famed goat people of India. So we can imagine Wait. that Xerxes expanded on his father's conquests. Because goat we're told people? by Tejas that there are many strange beings who live in India, like people without a head and a face in their chest, people with goat heads, all that sort of thing. And in these sources on the war, we're told that Xerxes managed to gather the support of these important goat people. Oh. Although they seem not to have had a main combat role, but more like musicians for the King of Kings due to their unparalleled skill and generally supporting the army in a more um, cheerleading role, let's say. So they're like satyrs or? So, I mean, they have goat heads and human bodies, oh. apparently. Oh, I see. The sources. Okay. Yes, exactly. Oh. So, yeah, it's, it's, that's, you wouldn't expect Tejas to be correct in this specific aspect, but apparently so is the case. Maybe there were masks, you know. Maybe it it's a mistranslation. Yeah, We've had that before. It could be. We have several cases of mistranslation later on in these mm. sources, so I see. we'll try and uh, elucidate on that a little more. But then we move on to like the actual human component of the army. And as we said, there's a large army of slaves, which seems a bit misguided to give slaves weapons. Yeah, and it's have still, millions still of not, them, but yeah, who knows? Not quite clear on how that would work, but let's just agree. Like, let's just, you know. Yeah. But we're told specifically that Xerxes had a key component called the Immortals, who seem to have been particularly badly affected by the horseplay, mm. such that their faces seem to have been transformed into monstrous visages. Oh, I see, yeah. And according to the sources, and I'll quote from them directly, the Immortals have served the dark will of the Persian kings for 500 years, dark eyes, fangs, soulless. Okay. The dark will? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And, well, let me go on through that. So, first of all, let's look at the dark eyes. That makes it sound like the horse plague probably had a hemorrhagic component. Due to right. the black eyes, it can be caused due to some internal bleeding. Mm -hmm. But also, you said the dark will of the Persian kings, but not only that, but for 500 years. And if we look at the timeline, this gives us an interesting insight into the Bronze Age collapse. 
Because oh. 500 years before this is roughly when the cataclysmic event happens. I see. Okay. Because I was like, I didn't think the plague would have gone on for that long, right? Like, it was something relatively new, I assumed, but like... It seems like the aesthetic modifications were relatively recent, but that the immortals as a group had existed for these 500 years earlier. So we can assume that probably they may find their origins among the infamous sea peoples, these mysterious people that toppled the Hittite Empire right, yeah. 400 years before so maybe they were a separate cultural group that was integrated as a fighting force later on. Also, before we leave the army composition, I have to point out the existence of, as the sources call it, a uber-immortal. Okay. Which, yeah, unfortunately it's not really documented in Achaemenid art, so that's a bit suspicious. So mm. it might have been in these particular contingents that Xerxes brought, because they had a special individual which was slightly taller than the rest but had the difference of being unarmored, but with a very big sword. Okay, so maybe either it was more for show, you know, just if you have a really big It may have been an person. intimidation tactic, yeah. yeah, perhaps. Or, I don't know why you wouldn't give them armor. Like, did they have more, like, tougher skin, or like what? I mean, we're told that there was a shortage of armor in this historical period. Uh. Uh, I'm going on in it a little bit later on, but... It seems like there was uh, some sort of disruption with the tin trade through the Mediterranean that had to be kept into account. So with this grand army gathered, Xerxes began his expedition. So, of course, he first wanted to get submission from the Greek city-states, and if he could get it without fighting, even better. So he sent messengers to the various states. Each of these messengers had the skulls of five kings, with crowns included, which is... Oh. A detail that is pointed out by the sources. Very dramatic. I like that. Yeah, exactly. And we can assume that these skulls came from the skull room in Persepolis that we saw in oh. Darius's death. Okay. You know, that's a reasonable way to assume where they came from. But judging on the number of city-states, Xerxes must have had at least 5,000 skulls at his disposal. And as skulls of kings, it feels a little bit unlikely compared to the archaeology. So maybe it was a translation error... And it might have been to enemy soldiers or maybe enemy commanders rather than full-on kings. So it might have been an issue there with the text from the original mm -hmm. ancient Greek. I see. But we have a specific scene when the sources tell us what happened to this messenger in Sparta. Oh, right, yeah. Well, so unfortunately, it seems like Xerxes hadn't done the correct cultural research on Sparta specifically. Because he didn't know that, unlike in all other Greek city-states, in Sparta, messengers were not considered sacred under the rites of hospitality. Oh, heck. But um, they were generally ritually sacrificed whenever they were met. Then how do you communicate with Spartans? It is apparently not a thing you do. Uh, honestly, no wonder the Athenians kind of hate them. That is, like, it's not helpful. Yeah, exactly. And while the sources do mention that every messenger that comes up to the Spartans, is ritually executed in this manner. This isn't a tradition that the Athenians have, as they do listen to messengers that right. are brought to them. But anyway, the unfortunate Persian messenger asks for Spartan submission, but then King Leonidas personally undertook the traditional religious role of king in Sparta and proceeded to mm. kick the messenger down a well, formally beginning the Spartan preparations for war. Oh, I see. Oh no, poor messenger. <laughs> I feel terrible. That's what you get when you don't research the culture that you're trying yeah. to invade. You should do some background checks and see. I mean, that. I'm sure Xerxes didn't personally care much, but like it is infuriating in the sense of like if you're trying to communicate to get things ready for either a surrender or a war, like things are hard enough already. 
yeah, it makes the negotiations more difficult. It's harder yeah. to find a common ground at some point. Having received this reply, Xerxes marches into Greece on a bridge of ships, finally ready to take on the Greek forces. A bridge of ships? That's really cool. Yes. Who did that before? I have a vague memory that maybe Herodotus said that Xerxes did that, but who knows. Right, yeah. Well, if it's in the sources, you know. Yeah, yeah if it's really in the awesome. source, it has to be true, clearly. But who are these Greeks we're facing? We need to figure out who are these people that we're encountering. So we're first told that the Spartan king Leonidas met up with a series of other Greeks to try and march against the Persians. Right. And there's some dialogue from the sources where apparently Leonidas asks his fellow Greeks what their profession is, and they answer, respectively, a potter, a sculptor, a blacksmith, and so on. Mm -hmm. And Leonidas himself then asks his Spartans what their profession is, and they reply, Ow, ow, ow. Uh, um, uh, okay. Is it like a, like a war cry, or...? Well, many historians have thought it might have been a war cry, but after some more investigation by Dr. Fu Bar, mm -hmm. we managed to find out that if we look through the ancient Greek of Aristophanes, then au au is the Greek equivalent of woof woof. Oh, okay. And, Serial, can you guess which Greek god is represented by a dog? Uh, is it Ares? Exactly, it is hey, Ares. Hey, okay, so it is a war cry. So clearly it seems like it's some sort of religious invocation towards the god to bring down prosperity. Yeah, howling, you know. Bring... Yeah, exactly. Okay, very okay. Good. Just, that makes more sense. I was just very, like, <laughs> confused for a moment. Maybe. Like, those are not words, what? <laughs> yeah, so here we have this solution through Aristophanes, which is nice to have. And another element that's a bit strange is that it's a bit unclear how Spartan society functioned with only soldiers. So some fringe historians have suggested that it might have been the roughly 90% slave population of Sparta that did these jobs. Right. But that's clearly quite ridiculous, as the sources I consulted say that the Spartans were fighting in the name of freedom, so it would right, be a little so they, bit hypocritical of them to do this. Yeah, they wouldn't have slavery, or at least not... Not that yeah, not a 90% right, but... slave population to yeah. uphold this military class. Right. So presumably it must have been some sort of apprenticeship job. Who knows? Oh, okay. So the Greeks finally arrive at this pass called Thermopylae, where they're trying to protect themselves against the Persians. Now, the Spartans inaugurate the building of this camp with the traditional sacrifice of the Persian messenger coming towards them. Again? <sighs> Yes. Why did we send another messenger? It must have been uh, Xerxes was hoping to still negotiate, but unfortunately there was still these violent solutions. Mm. Mm. So what happens is that the Greeks and Persians fight. They have a first day of fighting and the Spartans do not take any casualties whatsoever. They lose a couple of people against the immortals, but in general they manage to come out with flying colors. But this success is especially impressive considering the lack of armor on the Greek soldiers, as they're all described as unarmored. Wait, also? Like... Yes. Wait, what is going on? This is what you meant with, like, a lack of armor? What is going on? It's a war, what? Yeah, so the hypothesis is that this might be due to a disruption in the tin trade across the Mediterranean, due to the roughly contemporaneous rise in the city of Carthage which would have reduced the amount of bronze available throughout okay, the uh, Eastern Mediterranean. At this point, I'm just like, I, maybe it wasn't a good idea to continue the war or to start it to begin with. But like, yeah, maybe, yes. now I'm doubting our lady commander. Because like, yeah. who, like, 
I mean, but I guess it affected everybody. So also, why are I mean, the, the Spartans Greeks seem even... to be especially affected? Yes, they're yeah, trying. Why, to... why are they? It seems like fight? there only was enough bronze for shields and helmets and spears. So everything else had to remain unarmored because, well, there was a severe lack. What? Like, why would you prioritize? I'm so confused. Well, it seems like it was a sign of uh, strength among Spartans sort of like a taunting thing to show your vital points to your enemies so that they can uh... a stupid taunting thing like <laughs> yeah i can see your vital points and where i need to stab you and now i'm going yeah. to stab I you mean, i it's similar to the starting behavior among gazelles that just jump high so the predators can see them just to show their fitness so presumably it was something along but the these are not gazelles these are humans like humans are humans Yes, but it might have been like a pride display showing, aha, uh, I don't need to even care. I guess. Did it work? <laughs> Sometimes. It seems to have worked quite well for the Spartans, so there we are. But after this first day of fighting, we have the our boy Xerxes decides, okay, we need to negotiate with these Greeks, try and see if there's some way we can bribe our way around this and get through. Yeah, let's not, let's not fight. This is not ideal. Yeah, exactly. So we're told that he organizes a meeting with King Leonidas of Sparta, and from the sources, we get two different interesting bits of information. So first of all, that the Persian army was very poorly stocked on horses at this point. It's okay. bad enough that Xerxes himself can't get a horse, and he oh. has to be carried on his traditional big golden throne by a large amount of servants. Wait, that's... <laughs> so there's no horses, just like at all? Yeah, it seems like the plague if Xerxes doesn't far have enough one, I that just... it's an issue. Yeah. And also, we can extrapolate that the name Hot Gates of Thermopylae quite mm -hmm. probably was referring to the temperature of the place, because oh. both kings appear to be comfortable in minimal clothing. Okay, well, I mean, we did mention really dusty environment. Yeah, it must have been a general heating event that was going around in those couple years. Yeah, maybe this also affects... yeah. Yeah, it's possible that might be the case. But at this point, Xerxes goes and offers Leonidas dominion over Greece and Athens in particular. But, like, come on, who does he think he is? And when does he think he is, more importantly? Like, this isn't the late 5th century. This is the early 5th century, and Sparta will never accept Persian help against the Athenians, at least right. not in the next decade or two. <laughs> For now. For now. And then there's another faux pas on Xerxes' part, because he threatens to destroy Spartan literature and history, but... Of course, this is an empty threat towards Sparta. Yeah, because they, like, I don't know much about this, but I know that they didn't really have much, right? Yeah, exactly. Sparta is not known for their culture. Like, their written culture. Yeah. So it's possible that Xerxes might have had an issue with his translator who misunderstood Leonidas as maybe being an Athenian, so Xerxes oh, was yeah. Ooh, threatening no. their culture and was closer, so. That is That might worse, have been actually. an issue with the discussion. Confusing a Spartan for an Athenian would not be fun. Yeah, so this is probably why Leonidas decides to continue fighting on. Oh, damn. When Leonidas returns to his camp, he is approached by a man called Ephialtes, who was, unfortunately, seems to have been extremely deformed. Like, it's surprising that he was able to move around oh. or do anything. This is probably due to the contamination in the water supply of Sparta, due to the traditional messenger sacrifices going into the drinking water. Oh no! Which might oh have been God. an issue for newborns. What the hell? How are they still alive? Historians have long asked these questions. So Ephialtes warns Leonidas of a secret goat path that the Persians could use to get around them. 
but he is dismissed by the Spartans who didn't really have a progressive attitude towards disability and decided that they weren't able to do with him. Weird. So who is this person? Uh, He seems to have been a Spartan who just was very deformed and wanted to fight for the Spartans but wasn't allowed for it. Yeah, he was around, apparently. Okay. It's questionable, right. but who knows? I mean, fair for them. Like, it might not even have been disability. It might just have been like, why are you talking to the king, right? Oh, perhaps it might have been in this case. But we do get a specific note that it might have been disability because we're told that when Ephialtes goes to Xerxes, uh-huh. there's a specific point that we're given to notice that a lot of the members of his camp do have some sort of disability and are well cared for by the Persian king. Oh, okay. So it seems yeah. that Ephialtes takes this more progressive attitude, a more helpful attitude, and goes to the Persian side and tells them about this goat path. Oh, good. So, Ephialtes is given a nice hat and a job. Fair. And the Persians are ready to secure victory over the Greeks. Okay, going well. So, we're told that the Spartans find out they're betrayed, decide that they alone, no thespians involved, will be the ones fighting and stopping the Persians and allowing all the other Greeks to return home and tell everybody else what happened here. Okay. So now... Xerxes is ready to win and take over and defeat these 300 Spartans. But courtesy is too strong in him. He decides he'll send one more messenger to ask for the surrender of the Spartans. But if there's one thing that we learned is that one of the most important religious elements of Spartan culture was to sacrifice the messenger. Right, yeah. And again, the sources tell us that it looks like Leonidas was about to surrender. He drops his weapons. He puts away his helmet, drops his shield. but then apparently his religious pride is too strong, so he decides to kill the messenger as per tradition, and this ends up in the massacre of the Spartans. Oh, okay. Yeah. And we're told that Xerxes himself goes to cut off Leonidas' head, so that's fun. Oh. Damn. Yeah. Yeah. So now Xerxes, with this victory, can march on south to conquer all of Greece. Hmm. So Xerxes sends messengers to Athens and asks them to surrender. They saw what happened. Please give up. But Themistocles, that random guy Mm. who killed Darius. Yeah. Wait, the same guy? Oh my god. Yes, it's the same guy. He became a politician, apparently. So the sources tell us that he doesn't care if Xerxes burns Athens to the ground, but that Athens is its people, and I quote, the fate of the world depends on Athens' survival. So that's I mean, that is very (laughs) Athens-centric, I guess. But the Athenians kind of, you know, they are very self-centered. So, yeah. Which is why I imagine that probably, while both sources are created by uh, Philo-Greek authors, Mm -hmm. it seems like the first one is purely Spartan, so it might have been the one Spartan historian that is otherwise lost to history. While the second source seemed to have more of an Athenian slant, but it does still reflect positively on the Spartans. So it might have been a lost work of Xenophon, who did admire the Spartans very much. So, Unfortunately, there's no authorship on it, so who knows. Mm. But so now we have that Athens falls, Xerxes burns it, and he assigns control of his fleet to Artemisia, which we mentioned earlier. Right, yeah, yeah. She's the one who wanted this war, so like I was waiting for her to appear. Right, so we're meeting Artemisia once again. And as I mentioned before, as with most ancient sources, this one tends to portray the woman as sex-crazed and murderous. So Mm, take the next section with a pinch of salt, because... We've seen this before. It was a different time. There was a more misogynistic cultural context, Mm. so who knows. You have to blame somebody. Yeah, so for example, here we're told that Artemisia would kill generals who would give her two cautious battle reports. 
what? Because they were they were being too conservative, so she would just kill them and say, no, actually give me a straight answer. It's like, okay. That doesn't, yeah. So this probably didn't help with the war effort. But this it is might really silly. I'm sure she did not. Like, that's ridiculous. Yeah, exactly. And we're also told, according to the sources, that Artemisia attempted to seduce Themistocles, who was now in charge of the Athenian fleet, and to try and get him to join the Persian side. But apparently he was too Greek to be persuaded by her Eastern ways, so he managed to save Greece. Uh, okay. Like, when did they get to meet up? Like, to have any intimate... Apparently you know. there was a secret meeting where Themistocles agreed to be brought upon Artemisia's ship. But again, was this is like probably a... part of the more mythological element. Yeah, because I'm like, was this like a strategic, you know, like, was this military discussion? Or like, why, why would they... It seemed to have been mainly like bribery purposes. See, and Themistocles was... Also seduction was involved, so... I mean... But fortunately our man Themistocles was too manly and too Greek to give in to these ways. Hey, listen, props on Artemisia for not only being a war general, but also, like, herself being kind of versed in the art of charming someone or, like, manipulating someone. Like, I, I yeah, know. You usually hire an assassin, I guess, if you want someone assassinated, but she's yeah, like, exactly. oh, I can do this myself. Maybe if we read through the historical sources, it's more likely that maybe Artemisia acted as a diplomat... And yeah. the Greeks sort of I mean, seeing yeah, like a woman we said, in a position probably, of power misunderstood yeah, it's everything. It's probably just like, as you can see. ooh, the mystical powers yeah. of women. Nobody understands. They, they might make you lose your mind because, I don't know, they're magical beings. I don't know. They're sirens. Yeah. And yeah, so then we are gearing up towards the Battle of Salamis. And before the battle, Xerxes suggests a more prudent tactic. And he tells Artemisia maybe that it's best to hold back and wait to see how mm. everything is going. But Artemisia, of course, I mean, the sources characterize it as, yeah. oh, the jealous woman who was rejected by her lover needs to fight now oh. and so on. <laughs> okay. But, you know, presumably she had some military reasons to go I mean, yeah, we, we have been introduced have to her as like a general, right? Or like a... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Important admiral at the very least. But apparently Artemisia overrules Xerxes and says, no, she's the military mm. commander and she made him king in the first place, so she'll do what she wants. Oh, that is dangerous i guess but sure yeah this is an interesting contrast with the absolute power we've seen displayed in the prior sections by xerxes yeah so it's curious to see how this would be possible i mean she's risking her life because i feel like xerxes could just be like i will have you executed if you don't but like maybe xerxes still respects her opinion you know on her like and again this is from the greek source so maybe there was some sort of disagreement in the yeah. camp but artemisia made her uh, political weight known and told Xerxes that this plan would have been a better idea. Yeah. But anyway, so we all know what happens and the Battle of Salamis starts. The Persians seem to start winning at one point, but then finally at last the famous Spartan fleet arrives on the horizon and manages to finally defeat all the Persian fleet. And hmm. well, the Persian forces are finally broken. Were they? I forget. Like, were the Spartans good at seafaring? Or like, because I can't remember if the Persians had a worthy fleet. I seem to remember, like, I don't know if it was the Athenians who were good at ships or what. Yeah, I mean, from later sources, if we look at Thucydides and uh, the Peloponnesian War, we're told that generally Athens had the advantage on ships and Sparta okay. had a relatively abysmal navy that was later sponsored by the King of Kings later on. Right, yeah, yeah. 
That's what I seem to remember. Yeah. So this might have been that there was a policy change. Maybe it's possible that Leonidas himself had decided to sponsor more building of ships. And with his death, the maintenance was reduced and they weren't really used anymore. So by the time of the Peloponnesian War, they were gone. Hmm. But yeah, because these sources show them as a formidable force, apparently. Okay. I mean, that's interesting. Yeah. So then, yes, the Greeks win the Battle of Salamis and... We get one last tidbit from the sources just before they cut off because we're told that they stop just before the end of the war. So we're not really sure what how it ended officially. Yeah. Given that we have sources again for Artaxerxes I, we can assume that the Persian side was unsuccessful forcing Xerxes to return home. Right. But yeah, the last bit that the sources give us is the beginning of the Battle of Plataea. We're not told how it finishes. Oh, no. But we're told... Th- Yeah, unfortunate, but certain things are lost to history. I guess it'll do. Yeah, and the sources just end off by telling us that 10,000 Spartans command 30,000 Greeks against 120,000 Persians fighting, and I quote, to rescue the world from mysticism and tyranny. What mysticism? (laughs) It's unclear what they're referring to, but perhaps some uh, cultural context that was lost in the intervening period. I guess. Our last bit of information on Xerxes is basically at the start of Artaxerxes I's reign. We get this from other sources because fortunately those weren't destroyed. Mm. And we're told that Xerxes himself was murdered at some point. And we can assume that probably this is because his godhood would have made death by old age and a regular succession more complicated. So murder had to be involved. Presumably this was something that happened often, but uh, this is how it ends. And yeah, so this is the life of Xerxes I. According to these only two sources that we have left. So Mm. hopefully it was illuminating enough and uh, scholars will be able to reconstruct the history that we've so terribly lost in the last Mm. hour. (laughs) Indeed. Okay, so Serial, are you ready to rate him and see how he does? Yeah, I'm actually very excited. I mean, it's it was a really interesting episode. There's a lot. Regardless of, you know, a lot of exaggeration and, you know, it might be a lot of propaganda, but like a lot of things going on, so. Yeah, exactly. So it's very interesting. Mainly this one big war. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, we don't hear anything else about Xerxes. We're not sure what he did mm. back in Persia. We're not sure what happened, but apparently it seems that his main contribution to history was this one war. Okay. So our first category is final moments. How interesting was his death? Murdered because his immortality would have made the succession complicated. I mean, really cool in that sense. We haven't had many, like, immortal god-like kings. <laughs> yeah, there aren't many immortal god-kings. That Those are generally rare in the, the historical record. <laughs> yeah, but this I don't seems know. Like, I'm case. still trying to... Obviously, I don't believe it, but, like, I'm trying to find, like, if it's a metaphor or if it's, like, the propaganda that they made or, like, what what is, like... Were they trying to refer to, but like, did they get murdered for the succession to happen, like out of malice or out of convenience? Like, I don't, I don't know. Maybe he just yeah, retired and unclear. was like, oh yeah, like since you know, it could have been. Yeah, maybe he was like, oh, yeah, now I can have a successor, and I don't want to reign until like my late eighties. So maybe he decided to keep on going on. And I mean, this is very like wishful thinking because usually I feel like the heirs to the throne get impatient and you know. Yeah, I mean, we see something like that around the end of the reign of Artaxerxes the second. He got too old, and people tried to murder him and take over the throne. So perhaps mm-hmm. this was also the case with Xerxes the first, who had these issues. Mm-hmm. So I'm quite impressed. I'm. Um... 
It's unfortunate that the sources don't really give us a scene for his death, but yeah. we could say, yeah, I'd say around a four for a mortal god king being killed for the succession. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's really cool. If we actually go with the immortal point of view, that is really, really cool. Also kind of shame that he died. Like, if you're immortal and still die yeah, within I mean, like a like reasonable longer, human lifespan. Maybe he was a god, but he wasn't immortal. It was more like... You know, that could be gives yeah. you a certain properties, but then like it destroys your body or something like that. Yeah, maybe it was immortal, but no eternal youth. That sort of yeah, thing. That's a bit yeah. of a trick genie. I don't know. I I like it. I think it's very like fantastical. I'd go for like a, a six or something or a seven. Six. Yeah, I'm gonna actually bump up to a like six, the the, so the death I'll itself. Have a six and boring. A we don't really have details, and it's just like oh, yeah, I but the motivation killed. behind. But like, it yeah, is it's just curious, you know. Yeah. Exactly. So with a 6 and a 7, we get a 6.5 out of 10 for final moments. Our next category is battle hardness. How good was he at war and fighting? I mean... So we can extrapolate a couple of things from his army. So we're told that he had to expand his army to southern Sudan to get the subspecies of elephants and the rhinos. Right, yeah. And he had to expand further into India to get the goat people. Which I'm still, like, I still want to just know what, like, the goat people actually were. Yeah, I mean, since Tejas refers to them as well, it's interesting that there may have been some sort of misunderstanding by these Greek authors, but who knows. So he had to expand India there. And then, unfortunately, his mission in Greece isn't really successful. Which is the main, you know, what we have sources for. But, like, this implies that he did have, like, a bigger empire. So, like... Either he I mean, conquered it. It looks like he did expand or, with regards to Darius, but yeah. Yeah, either he conquered it or he lost it. Because, like, if we do not have it later on, then maybe he used to blame Yeah, it for seems like it must that, have been lost so at know. some point. I mean, maybe the immense use of resources here in Greece caused the rest of these newly conquered regions to collapse back in. Who knows? So, battle hardness. And we're also told that he never really marches into battle. Personally, he's only there at uh, Marathon when his father is killed. So it's a little bit, uh, you know, on a personal record, not too much. Otherwise, I'd say it's, uh, you know, pretty impressive, I suppose. Although we're told that his forces are really quite weak and the horse plague probably didn't help with uh, the whole thing. So, yeah, Battle Hardness, I'm going to go with... um, Like, I'm impressed by the great expansion of the Empire. But again, if it was lost somehow... I mean, I guess that's still not battle hardness. I feel like that's Aaron Shine later on. So I'm going to go for a seven for battle hardness for that extra nice little bit of expansion. And then, yeah, sure, the the Greek war didn't go well, but it happens. Mm. So I'm going to go with a seven. How about you, Serial? I don't really have much of an opinion. Like, I guess if we're counting it this way... Yeah. I mean, he did lose the main battle, but also we don't have sources for, like, most of it, so... Yeah, the sources are just focusing on a couple of focal points. I'll not, d- not I'll go with a six more. just because I feel press X to doubt, you know, like. <laughs> Fair mm. enough. Okay, so with a seven and a six, we get a 13 out of 20 for battle hardness. Next category is scheminess. How good was he at plots and manipulation? I didn't mention it before, but he tended to send a lot of coins with his face on them, which is a bit unusual for a at coinage. But he sent a lot of these coins to the Greek city-states to try and bribe them into switching sides and and so on. So that's partially relatively schemey. In his personal life, it seems like he was mostly outmaneuvered by Artemisia. Hmm. So there isn't really that much to recommend him in that direction. So I might go for like 
a token point if you want to go for the bribery or if you want to consider that as all's fair in love and war. It wasn't that skeevy, I feel like. It was mostly just like doing what you do in war of like you send a messenger and yeah, you try exactly. to get the, like it wasn't like backstabbing. Also his inability to realize that these messengers <laughs> kept getting sacrificed. Yeah, also just do your research. Like that was just clumsy of him. Honestly. Yeah, also the mistranslation of yeah. Athens and Sparta. Like, who did he hire thing. for this? I don't know. I mean, yeah, it's probably that there was a lot of difficulty translating from the different dialects of Greek. Maybe that was yeah. the issue. Who knows? Also, I mean, I guess a bit of like the scheminess could be like if he faked the god thing, you know, just like it was an explanation could, towards yeah, the depends. people of like, I will become a god so we can go into this war, but like not actually, then I would count that, you know. Like, the propaganda of it, the, like, presenting yeah, himself sure. as this god. But, yeah, you actually talked me down. I think I'm going to aim for a zero, honestly. I mean, if I count the propaganda, that, like, you know, this whole thing about being a god, then, like, I would go for mm-hmm. higher. I'm going to go for a one, and that's it. No more. Yeah, but it wasn't for a, that against the enemies. It was more, like, towards its own people. Like, I guess to yeah, hype I them mean, up. I, or feel, to... I feel like it still counts, but it's nothing. Yeah. I'll go for a one. So a 1 and a 1 gives us a 2 out of 20 for scheminess. Next category is shock factor. How shocking was this man? I mean, mostly I'm just like shocked by his bad decisions of like, first of all, why are you in the battlefield? Because this is more of a Darius fault of like having him in the battlefield as well. If it's like his only air. Yeah, within range. Maybe it wasn't his only air. Like, I don't, you know. But yeah, just like putting both of them in danger and then continuing a war when as we then learned but like he must have known like there's a shortage of armor yeah, there's a, a shortage uh, of shortage armor of horses, there's the plague like, as well have the, yeah really, like everything yeah. is just why would you do this this is terrible and also there's no reason like we weren't looking to like expand like or mitigate a rebellion or anything yeah exactly it was just purely because darius hated freedom and now darius is dead you don't have to go through yeah it. you could just like let it go but yeah, it seems like he was enough under the influence of Artemisia that yeah, he had to go through. Yeah, I guess. This. But like, I also don't understand. Because like, if the Greeks want to paint her as like malevolous and cunning, like this is just silly of her. Yeah, exactly. So it's a bit of a strange choice. But uh, you know, who knows what actually happened? Unfortunately, yeah. the sources do only give us certain glimpse. I don't know. Maybe there were some other reasons why they had to continue the war. I don't know. This is a bit shocking. Okay. Also, you know, the whole mythology of it, very shocking, like the having the rhinoceros and this like giant yeah, exactly. men and the becoming a god. Like, I feel like this was very big shock factor there. And also I'd add that I didn't mention it earlier, but we're apparently told by the sources that the Persians made like a literal tree out of corpses when they oh. first arrived in Greece. Just Wait, uh, a tree? threaten their enemies. It's unclear how they did it, if they sort of, like, used a tree as a base and attached the corpses to it, or if they sort of had them stand up somehow. It's That is terrifying. You should have mentioned that. That is so scary. I mean, it makes (laughs) me think back to the... Oh, God. Names. Uh, uh, the, The episode zero, you know... Background? Assyrians? Assyrians, yes, the Assyrians. Just big... I mean, it might have been a Syrian inheritance. Who knows? Maybe he wanted to uh, project this older I'm not saying it's just like, it reminds me of that level of like extreme violence. Yeah. So there's a lot of that. And um, yeah, so I think it's shock factor is pretty high up. I'm I'm, uh, I'm very impressed. I'd say... I'm going to go for an eight. 
Yeah, I was about to just say yeah. eight, me too, I think, yeah. So an eight and an eight gives us a shock factor of 16 out of 20. Next category is Aaron Shine. How good was the Empire doing with him? Well, we have pros and cons. Like, the good side is that, well, hooray, expanded into India, expanded into Sudan. Yeah. Good to know. Yeah, cool. But we lose track of these with Artaxerxes I, so who knows what happened there exactly. Mm-hmm. Then we have, of course, the Greek War, which is a large, disappointing defeat. It doesn't go very well. It's, everybody is sort of destroyed. His armies are crushed. We also have this fact that he was so easily manipulated by Artemisia, which wasn't very good for the Empire overall, we're told. Yeah. Because she induces him into a war and he follows the advice. He suggests to have a more cautious policy at the Battle of Salamis, but he is also refused and accepts this refusal without complaining. Yeah. So the sources paint a rather unflattering picture of how he's actually ruling. And apparently we also have that a lot of his old advisors and uh, ministers were executed at the start of his reign by Artemisia. Yeah, Whether it was symbolic or not is a bit unclear. She doesn't seem to get get punished for that or anything, so I'm just a bit like... No, so if you just have your lieutenants run rampant like this it's not a great sign for royal authority so but again clearly they the might empire just yeah they might just like be great. blaming her for no reason like the source it could I be mean. it might be something like we saw with antiochus the third where she is the quote-unquote counsel for xerxes to look like yeah, the good yeah. guy while somebody else killed everyone yeah oh so no maybe it's that oh, sort of it, artemisia got to you first oh yeah i would have never done this but yeah you know women i who can truly she's just unhinged i uh yeah, it happens, you know. It's But overall, it's not showing great strength. I'd say that the Empire is definitely going worse compared to Darius. I'd say it's roughly... I mean, considering the expansion and contraction and all the waste of resources, I'd say it's worse off than what we got earlier. Because we don't get any signs of him well, yeah, improving they went, the Empire they went, itself. It's all They essentially went into, like, a useless war. Yeah, so, pretty much. You know. So, yeah, I think I'm going to go for a three. I'm not not impressed at all. Yeah, no, me neither. And, like, it's a shame, because I get to, you know, it's just out of nowhere. And, like, the Empire was really big and... Yeah, I mean, it apparently grew to its maximum expansion under Xerxes, but then just collapsed back into all this resource waste. Yeah, that was very quick collapse. Yeah, and, I mean, if you're facing a plague, shortages, wars, all this is, like, all the horsemen of the apocalypse. Yeah, that's my point. Like, why why would you get yourself into... Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that was just poor management on his part, really. We need to remember that, like, with limited sources, like, we might just be looking at a, a part of a picture, so, like, it might just look outlandish from here, but... You yeah, know. it might be. Who knows? So how much are you giving Serial for Aaron Shine? I mean, like, did, did you do anything good? Like, did anything good happen? I mean, the Empire is still around, but that's, you know, not that's high the, that's praise. That's the... Ba- that's the... <laughs> Like, otherwise, yeah. we wouldn't have a podcast. This is, yeah, actually, know. I'm going to go lower again. I'm going to go for a two, mainly because he did manage to expand the Empire a little bit, and it's still around, so sort of, but no more than that. Did he manage to expand the Empire? I mean, he did, but it recollapsed. So I, I just want to uh, give him credit for yeah, the okay, effort okay, he that's put fair. in. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's fair. It may be a two. A two seems, yeah, okay. that seems fair, yeah. So with a 2 and 2, we get a 4 out of 20 for Aaron Shine. Our next category is Face of Faces. What did this man look like? Ooh, I, yeah, wait, I'm excited. So am I drawing, like, his godlike version or, or like, 
his beginning. I mean, you can draw whichever version. I mean, generally in the sources, he is more described in his godlike version. Yeah, I love that we have a description of him. That hasn't happened before. I don't think, apart from like a couple of sentences, maybe in a Not couple particularly, of Not no. I mean, it's a very impressive description. It's almost photographic in its detail. It's uh, very good. Yeah, okay. So, um, yeah, let me pull up my thing and... Okay, so Serial has finished their drawing. Let me pick it up so I can see what they think Xerxes looks like. I mean, you give me really cool scenes to go off of, so, you know, I chose yeah. the most epic one. I mean, the sources are very cinematic. Okay, so very nice. I like this. Ooh, 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 ooh. <laughs> very good. Ooh, I like this. Yes. Nice. Very good. So we have our boy Xerxes standing in a pool with ripples coming out from his body at the point where he has become a god. And we can see him shaded. It seems like there's lighting coming out from below, giving him a very nice... Well, uh, like, the pool overall. was, like, golden, right? So I was like, oh, yeah. I'm sure, it, you know, it had some light. I mean, it did illuminate the room, so, yeah. And we have that he has a nice cloak, vestments attached to his arms, and a lot of golden earrings and chains across his body, which are very fancy, very fetching. And, uh, yeah, we can see that, as the sources told us, he is entirely bald. And is just emerging there, ready to try and take over Greece, but ultimately fail terribly. Mm. You know, it was very easy to make a portrait this time because, like, I had a description to go off of. <laughs> exactly. Always very nice. So thank you, Serial, for of course. that portrait. Now let me share with you what he actually looks like. This is apparently a contemporary portrait. From the time? It seems so. Oh. Not sure how it was obtained, but it is there. So. Oh, is it like a, a statue like? or like... It may be a painted Ooh. statue from the time as they were used to, oh but uh, I wasn't able to find how it was uh, extracted, but this is what he looks like. There's so much going on. I <laughs> For having a... Well, I guess it's gold, so it's not supposed to be like good armor, because I was like, for a lack of metal, he's sure wearing a lot of like decorations, but like, you know. Yeah, I mean, I think it was mostly bronze, which was the issue, mm, so... I see, I see. The tin yeah. trade and all that. Yeah, or if it's gold or something, like it doesn't really... Yeah. Okay, well, there's a lot going on, but it's just like a uh, lean, like slightly toned man, just like you said, with no hair, except for his eyebrows, uh, yeah, which true. might be painted on, I don't know, because he also that's seems possible, to have like yeah. eye makeup accentuating his look, mm -hmm. so, and he's just covered in different kinds of golden jewelry, so like from bracelets to wristbands to necklaces, there's like a net on his head. That is kind of like asymmetric and like goes past his nose to connect to one of his ears. He's got like several earrings, kind of like chains coming down from the necklaces that are shaped kind of like a cloak that you would put over one shoulder, but it's just chains. So it's not like so decorative. Yeah, it seems like it. And then a cloak also attached to the back that seems to have fabric and gold inlay. Mm -hmm. And then like a just underwear, but also made of gold. Yes. You would be concerned about chafing, but oh well. you, you know, presumably they had it sorted out. Yeah, it might have like a fabric underneath, but like Perhaps. the, the visual the, from the outside hope. is like also a little filigree of gold and also decoration on his legs. Like he's just covered in this old, these different little decorations. Yeah. I'd say it's definitely one of the most lifelike portraits we've seen in the podcast. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm very impressed at like 
how well conserved this is. Like, are you sure it's not like, I don't know, it might be like a painting or what? It may have been a Roman copy of a Greek original. I'm not sure exactly. Yeah. I mean, I'm really cool at the reconstructed colors. Yeah. Honestly. It might have been found in Pompeii. That's maybe why it was so well conserved. Yeah. Really cool. I mean, I, again, ridiculous outfit. Like, I don't think this makes any sense. Like, why would, but I'm, maybe this is one of the times when he posed as a god, you know, and like you have all the paraphernalia and it's very, although gods are usually represented in a different way, like usually wearing armor or other kinds of, you know, yeah, also the lack of a beard as for an accused yeah. king is, is interesting, but... Yeah, but, uh, like, w- they, they like, did describe that, like, he was, like, completely... Yeah, it might have been just that it was so, so manifest so, like, in his appearance that they didn't... Yeah, so maybe this is one of the, like, oh, it's a, you know... But, like, it's... Because it, if he was presenting himself as a god, like, it doesn't look like the depictions of gods at the time. No, it's And I don't like know much about this, but, like, direction. the little yeah. I know... Yeah, it might have been sort of a bit like the heresy of Akhenaten, where he's just... A whole different visual style to introduce yeah. your new religion. Yeah, I guess. I mean, it's really cool. I am very impressed that we have this at all. Because like, he also yeah. looks like... A pers- like, it's not very much, like, um, stylized. Like, it is very lifelike. So. Yeah, yeah, it's very lifelike, unlike a lot of the portraits we've seen. So it's, yeah. it seems to have been its own special direction. Really cool. So how well are you rating this face of faces serial? I mean, like... It has to be. I I don't. I think it's really outlandish, but it has mm-hmm. to be a ten. Like we've never had anything this. I feel like a ten is that it's, it's very iconic. You're not gonna forget that exactly. Soon, so yeah, I'd say yes. We can go with Amazing. a ten and a ten, which gives us a five out of five for face of faces. Our next category is lengthiness. How long did he reign? So. We have this mainly based on when our information stops and starts. We don't really have any dates given specifically in the sources, but from previous Herodotus and Thucydides later, we have a general idea that he ruled for, it seems, 21 years throughout which he did all these different works. And if we take this 21 divided by 10, we get 2.1 points out of 5 for lengthiness. Okay. And so that brings us to the final score which is, in total, a 48.6 out of 100 uh-huh. for our boy Xerxes, which places him just above Antiochus IV oh. and just under Cyrus the Great. So I mean, it is an interesting position for him. With a grain of salt, because like, having so little source material... It, like it feels yeah, like a lot of I mean, it was made up and like we were also missing yeah, a lot. I feel like but it's sort of like a Cyrus situation yeah. where there's a lot of mythological material on So top I, of I think it actually makes history. sense that he is like right under Cyrus the Great. Yeah. Because it's like, it's... you know, probably most of this didn't happen. Probably a lot yeah. of other stuff did happen. But we rate stories here, right? Like we rate characters. Yeah. No? So, yeah. So there we are. But the final question is, is he interesting enough, mythological enough, shiny enough to be a Shahanshah, or is he just a Shahanah? He has to. Like, I'm not going to forget this (laughs) anytime soon. No, definitely not. I think, yeah, I think he deserves some sort of recognition, especially for the interestingness of how it's uh, displayed. And, uh, yeah, the outlandishness of all the descriptions that were given. It's certainly something memorable. 
So very well, congratulations Xerxes, you are now a Shahanshah, and you can go off and tell everyone else that you are very good and shiny and that you're actually a god, so maybe they should all bring you more respect. Yeah, listen to you and stop the stupid wars. What the hell? Yeah. Okay, so thank you everybody for joining us. We hope you enjoyed our very special April Fools episode. Yeah. I hope I <laughs> in hope case this you didn't realize got so far. A, a laugh out of you. <laughs> Oh. Yeah. If this is your first episode, we <laughs> Good luck. do real people. <laughs> and we also have like a real Xerxes episode. Yeah. It's like episode eight or nine. It was a good one, actually. Yeah, it's fun. It's actually episode nine. So if you're interested in actually seeing what the real Xerxes was like and how it differs from the movies, well, then feel free to go check it out because it was a good episode. Have you mentioned we were rating Xerxes from 300? I mentioned Xerxes the Snyder. Cut. Okay. Well, Xerxes from 300. You guys know yeah, the you movie. Know who it is. Yeah. This was a bit of a weird one this time, <laughs> but we'll be back with our regularly scheduled programming next week with King Demetrius I and the treacherous Romans and all that oh, sort boy, of stuff. I am excited stuff. about this new name joining the family of names. Yes. <laughs> one new person at last. Oh God, that Demetrius. The one who went to Rome, Demetrius. I can't. Yes, the one who went to Rome and came back and has a heist, and it's good. Listen. You can look forward to it. I hate him already, so I um, can't wait. (laughs) Good stuff. Okay, well then, thank you all for listening. We hope you have a great time, and we'll see you next week. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.